Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, my name is Bex and welcome to Getting Emotional. Every week I'll be discovering a brand new emotion, or rather, I'll tell you about an emotion you may well have felt, but had no idea there was a name for. This week, it's Goya. You're reading a book. It's set in a fantasy world full of crazy, unbelievable things like wizards and warlocks and dungarees that actually flatter you instead of making you look like you're about to start your own painter-decorator company. You finish the last page of the last chapter, and you close it carefully. And for a moment, you feel like you're still in it. The story is continuing in your head, the world you've just shut is open in your mind. You look out the window, expecting to see wizards and warlocks in a world of flattering dungarees. None of those things exist. I mean, I'm only 90% certain on the wizards and warlocks thing, but I am 100% certain on the dungarees, believe me, I have done the research. A little part of you still feels like you're in the book, in the story, with the characters. You've been so completely wrapped up in it that the suspension of disbelief has followed you into real life. That's Goya. The word comes from Urdu, which is mostly spoken in the South Asian region. And I wanted to get a bit more context. It will probably come as absolutely no surprise to you that I am not fluent in any language other than English. And even then it's kind of touch and go. So I decided to research the word a bit more. It proved pretty tricky to pin down, and then I found a hero. My name is uh, Shiraz Ali. I work as uh, an Urdu teacher at Levenzium High School uh, full-time, and I also teach uh, Urdu uh, beginner course uh, at Manchester University. So, as you know, I've got this word um, that I'm trying to kind of find out a bit more about, this word Goya, uh, which is spelled G-O-Y-A. Do you have any advice for me on what this word actually means? Uh, well, if we say Goya, Goya mean is uh, in Urdu, it can be perceived in a variety of ways uh, because there is a Goya and there is Gawaya. So Gawaya is uh, is a singer, but the word we are talking uh, at the moment is Goya, it's uh, like Persian. And Goya is uh, mean is uh, well-spoken, uh, very talkative, uh, if it is used in that context, otherwise it's mean is... Um, Therefore, probably, apparently, clearly, and all those um, go back to the uh, word Goya. Oh, wow. So there are lots of kind of different meanings of this one word then. It's kind of comforted yes. in places. Yeah. So it's interesting because, so the definition I found of this word, it kind of, it kind of can relate back to what you said, but it was um, the feeling of being completely absorbed in a storyline. Do you think that's come from when you said somebody who's a good talker? Yes, it is, because it also means is is a talker. Um, when we say in Urdu is a guftgu, uh, conversation and bolchal, that's what it means. And that's when we, from Goya to, we change into Goyai. And that's what it means is uh, talking, conversation. I asked Shiraz how the word had come to mean what I'd found it to. And he told me that sometimes translations mean that origins get lost, uh, meanings get changed from what they originally were. I was also just super grateful to find him, because I'd been going down a bit of a Google rabbit hole, and he was able to explain so much to me. There is a saying in Persian, Goim mushkil vagarna goim mushkil. So it's mean, uh, um, when you want to say something, but you, it's difficult for you to say it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that is originated from the word from Goya, 
and then in a, another version of Goya, uh, apart from Goyai, uh, is uh, Go, Govinda. Govinda is uh, Persian as well and is uh, masculine, and its mean is Khabardenewala, uh, who give you the news, like uh, like informer. Right. So that that these are the variation uh, from uh, that word, and there is a lot of poetry actually where uh, this. Um, word is being used not only for the classic poets also the the new poets so goya comes from a world of poetry and stories and smooth talkers whenever i have this feeling until i found out that it has a name i always felt it was kind of a bit like waking up in the morning midway through a particularly vivid dream it kind of takes you a split second just to realize your teeth haven't fallen out you're not naked on stage or you're doing exams you haven't revised for I just inadvertently revealed how many anxiety dreams I get. Yes, I have. Anyway, uh, now, as much as I like to think of myself as a fascinating raconteur, I have literally no proof of that. So I decided to ask someone who actually does have a background of providing stories for adults and for children, be they via articles, books or scripts. I wanted to find out more about how he comes up with them and what's inspired him. My name is Danny Wallace, uh, and I am a writer. I do lots of different things, but writing's at the heart of it all. Which is handy for this uh, podcast and for this emotion, <laughs> because it's all about storytelling, and you are well-known as an incredible storyteller, Danny. Uh, can you tell me, how do you make your reader kind of feel like they're immersing themselves into your world? Well, I've always tried to make friends with the, the reader, um, and I've always tried to kind of get them on side. Uh, in the way that I would if I was sitting down with them in a in a restaurant or a or a cafe or something, um, and I suppose the way I've done that is traditionally I I tend to write like I speak, um, but every now and again a bit posher. So I'll just mm-hmm. I'll whack a posh word in there because then it makes you a writer. But the rest of the time I'm telling you the story in the way that I would want the story to be told to me, and um, you you you. I suppose you want to hold their interest and you want to kind of give it twists and turns and you want to give it a few laughs where you can. Um, and I, I, I remember that feeling as, um, as a kid and, and later on as I, you know, as I got older and got into older fiction of just being, of just feeling like you're in safe hands and like the storyteller, whether it's in the first person or whether they're just, you know, in the third person, it feels like they're with you and you feel like you're in their world and and that's the moment i think that they've they've grabbed you so you feel like you have to be kind of um a relatable or a personable kind of storyteller i think that um it, you, maybe you don't have to be relatable maybe you just have to you have to be in control of the story right. um and you it has to feel like it's it's going somewhere and there's a there's a story to be told and um, a lot of that is is confidence I suppose Um, and trust uh, from the reader as well because you're just like I don't want this to end Um, I always remember you know when you get to the final third of a book you're you're excited because you know your questions are going to be answered Um, but also as as the pages disappear you start to feel a bit um, sad you slow down um, you savor it more because you want it to want it to last, and that's when you, that's a you know the other point where you're you're really in the grip of the book. 
do you think books are the best way of being immersed in a story or do you think um kind of radio plays or films or tv shows is there a particular type of storytelling that you reckon kind of works the best I think that books are the, the, the most personal experience that you can have. In terms of communicating generally, it's always, for me, it's always been about writing, and then it's been about radio, and those, for me, are, are the best. And I suppose it's because it's about the voice, right? So if you're listening to someone on the radio that you really like and they're maybe telling a story, it's the way they do it and it's the voice you've gotten used to, and the style, and the same is true of that single voice you normally get um, when you're being told a story, you know, on the page. Um, and again, that goes back to the confidence and, and perhaps the relatability. Um, but, but yeah, it's it's just, it's it's storytelling in its purest form. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Do you, do you find it easier... Um to write those kind of stories, those immersive stories for, for kids or for adults? Because obviously you wrote you write both types of books. Um, I think that they're both fun to do um, when it's going well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and you, you, you can really enjoy yourself doing it. And I think that you can take more risks with kids, but you also you really want the kid to have a great time. So you you're you're perhaps a little bit more puppy dogish in your you know in in your desire for them to have a great time because it feels like a real responsibility. Mm. Whereas with grown ups, you can kind of go, well, look, this is the story, um, like it or not, <laughs> and I hope you do. That this is the story, uh, and and probably that's what makes it work as well because it is that that kind of confidence in it of just going right. It starts here now this has happened which you know is unusual and hopefully has hooked you in um and it's these people and here's some others and you know and you, you sort of build it that way um you can be you can drop things in um as and when you feel uh, it's the right time with a kids book you sort of feel like you want to you you know if if it's something like i do which is hopefully um a funny exciting fast paced book you you just get straight in there as you would with a kid um, and you just talk to him and go, right, there's all this mad stuff going on. Here, here it all is. And here's another, you know, and you keep it short and sharp. Um, there's more space to tell a story, obviously, with, with uh, the grown-up books. I always nearly say adult books, and that's, that's, not, that's not what they are. Yeah, so do I, actually. Um, <laughs> is, is there uh, an author or a writer that, that you particularly felt like whenever you read them that you are immersed in their world? Um, I've always found... Um, like when I was when I was um, growing up, and I, w- I was somehow allowed to read Stephen King books, wow. um, and uh, not as like a five year old, but you know, as a as as probably about eleven or twelve. Um, I don't think Mum uh, really knew what she was giving me. I think that she just thought it's a book, <laughs> and um, and because he is such a world builder, and and he can really make you understand what a character is thinking or doing and because it was scary and and you love being a little more scared than you're comfortable with um as a kid those were books that really gripped me and held me and I went through that same thing of you know I don't want this to end and before that you know uh, I loved Roald Dahl I loved um P.G. Woodhouse um just because it was just so incredibly funny and ludicrous and clever and I could never work out how this guy had managed to write like over a hundred books. 
And then I think I'd, I read that he was like 100 when he passed away. So I thought, oh, well, yeah, I can see that now. <laughs> he, had, he had a decent amount of time to do it all in. Um, but also just that joy of reading, you know, going back to the first things I would read, like um, the Beano. Um, the Beano, because it was short, uh, you know, um, fun, uh, well-written stories with plenty of jokes and loads of attention to detail, it also made you realise that you'd read a whole comic afterwards. You'd got to the end. You'd completed it. And and that in itself, as a young reader, is um, it gives you a sense of achievement. So, yeah, so there was, you know, a range of influences, and it was really comedy and, and funny stuff that would always grab me until uh, I discovered a little bit of horror, um, which I don't really read these days, but I should because, you know, uh, he is he is an incredible storyteller. Stephen King, The Beano, and P.G. Woodhouse. There is a crossover book begging to be made. I would point out that Goya doesn't just apply to books. I reckon it could be films, video games, even radio plays like Danny said. Anything that sucks you into its world and spits you back out, bleary-eyed and questioning what's real and what's taken place in your imagination. For example, I have binge-watched so much of The Office uh, during lockdown, I genuinely thought I worked for Dunder Mifflin for a little while. I think Danny's right. I think it all depends on the voice and the confidence of the storyteller. This is one of those magical feelings that I can imagine creeping its way into my daily usage. Stuff like, you know, oh, that film, it gave me a real sense of Goya. Or I finished the book and immediately forgot about it. No Goya at all. And hopefully one day someone will listen to my podcasts and say, getting emotional. Oh yeah, Bex created such a sense of Goya. And I will be able to sleep easy. Hopefully, with no dreams about falling teeth, being on stage, or taking exams. This was Getting Emotional, and that was Goya. Big thank you to Shiraz Ali and Danny Wallace for helping me understand the history of the emotion and the way it makes us feel. If you've enjoyed the show, thank you so much for listening. Please do rate, uh, review, follow it wherever it is you get your podcast from, and find me on Twitter at GetEmotionalPod. Bye!